The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today we're so lucky to have with us Dr. Eric Natch, who is the president of the Support for Students Growth Center up in Boca Raton, where he helps so many of us whose brains might be a little bit different. Eric, welcome. Thank you so much, Hackett. Very nice to be here today and to meet with everybody. Why don't you introduce yourself properly? I, I will give you a couple minute overview. My name is Dr. Eric Natch. I am the president of Support for Students Growth Center in Boca Raton. We've been in business since 2012. I have spent the last 30 years of my professional life working with individuals with special needs, including autism, Asperger's, learning disabilities, uh, communication disorders, behavioral issues. I spent um, about seven years working in psychiatric hospitals when I first started uh, working uh, as an adult, uh, my first adult jobs, if you will. And I worked a lot with adolescents and teens, and I saw that there was a lot of, lot of need going on. And what I was able to do at that point, I, I wanted to do more. I didn't want to just work as what was considered a melu therapist at that time, which was like helping the therapists and psychologists and such. So I went back to school and connected with the Palm Beach County School District. And I worked 18 years there and worked my way up to being an ESE department chair and uh, opening a school in Boca Raton called Don Estridge High Tech Middle School. And, and I ran the special ed department for 10 years that I was there. And the, the intent, the reasoning for going into that was because there are many students out there that were very cognitively capable or, or, or within reason, but they had other stuff going on. And that other stuff wasn't always uh, completely addressed by the school system. So we found in a high-tech middle school that a lot of our kids with, with perceptual challenges, whether they be autism spectrum, what we used to be called Asperger, ADHD-ish, perceptual issues, did very well with technology, and they were drawn to it. Now, of course, as you would imagine, the, the challenge is not going into the play world with it, but being able to use the technology to enhance what we're doing. So as, as I went through the system there, I did a lot of social skills groups. I was given the autonomy to do so. I got a, a PhD focusing on autism education and interventions. And that's what I focused on um, pretty much since, through, since 2009, almost exclusively. Um, a lot of what comes into that is the comorbidity issues of the ADHD, of the learning disabilities, of the anxiety, the depression, the, the whole gamut of to what else is going on. And so I, I did very good with getting information and connecting with others and getting training and working with different organizations. And in 2012, we created the Support for Student Growth Center. And, and the intent behind was that we wanted to be able to provide the services that the schools can't always do. So we do everything from individual counseling 
family counseling and coaching. We have 13 social skills groups that meet each week from ages four well into the 20s. Um, and and just, just a whole list, including summer camps and all kinds of things. I've got uh, nine clinicians who work in office with me that are licensed mental health counselors, licensed clinical psychologists who does testing, master and doctoral level, autism endorsed, ADHD endorsed uh, professionals. And I also have about a dozen special ed teachers that do services in home. And they'll go to the homes and they'll work on the academics with the kids with needs. They'll work on the, um, the behavior issues. I have a couple behaviorists on board and they do a lot of executive functioning work. We find that a lot of what happens with our students is that they're struggling with planning, organizing, following through on so many different levels. And quite often, our, the young people that we work with, their brains are busy. They're, they're spending time in that worry world of, of what could have been or what's going to happen, and they get into a lot of that. A lot of them have different types of traumas that they've been through. Um, unfortunately, there's real-life bullying and shunning and harassing that goes on in life, not just in the schools. And, and our job is empowerment. If we had to put it down to one word, it's about empowering the students, it's about empowering the parents, helping them have the tools to help their children be as functional as they can, to be able to go on and, and live independently, to go to college, to have families, to learn how to navigate whatever it is that's in their way, that's holding them back, to be able to figure out how to get to where they want to go in spite of that. You've articulated that very well. And I know you and I both think labels are a lousy way to describe a human being. But it's interesting to me is that hit my ears. You were describing so many of the challenges and so many of the comorbidities that go along with so many of us, uh, with stress and anxiety and a little bit of depression and trying to get things organized in this uh, increasingly complex world of ours. And the one biggest challenge that we seem to all have, especially nowadays, is that of developing and keeping strong social relationships. Would you care to elaborate on that? Absolutely. Well, one of the main functions, main purposes of, of, of schooling, of interacting with others, is allowing and, and helping human beings learn how to socially interact with others. We're social beings. We, we are not intended to live in isolation. So as, as we, we go through and we're little three, four, five-year-olds and we're getting into the schools and we start getting into third grade and the, the pressure is just off the chain with the FSA testing and, you'll, and, and all of that, and especially once the kids start getting into that fourth grade mode, fourth, fifth grade, they become much more cognizant of what their peers are doing and they see hey, I don't do things like that. I have a hard time doing what they're doing. And that's where we get a lot of this anxiety. That's where we get a lot of this depression. That's where we get a lot of this self-defeatist type of behavior. I'm not good enough. Self-concept takes a beating with so many of our kids because they're, they're seeing themselves based on how they think 
the rest of the world sees them. And they look at their peers in, in, in elementary, middle, high school, and their peers are, are interacting, they're doing, they're, they're going to, to parties, they're on sports teams, they're doing things in school, they're, they're hanging out during lunch. And our kids struggle with being able to express what their needs are. And even before that, identifying what their needs are. Quite often, if you ask a middle schooler about, hey, tell me about your friend, your friend situation. You know, you have a best friend. Oh, I don't want any friends. They're, they're a waste of time. I don't need them. All smokescreen, all defense. Because every time they've tried to, to initiate and, and nurture a friendship, they just haven't had, quite often, the ability to really make that happen. When it comes to social, it's all about the communication. How can then our little guy be able to communicate and let somebody know what they like, what they dislike, how they, what they believe, if they have a hard time identifying what that is? So the self-advocacy is one of the key skills that, that we've always addressed, I've always addressed, when it comes to helping our, our, our guys and girls learn how to generalize the skills that we teach in our groups and in our services. A lot of this is so contingent on the parents' follow-through. And, and probably getting a hold of one of your questions to come later, what are some of the big challenges? All right, one of the biggest challenges is, excuse me, <clears throat> the skills that we're teaching or the schools may be teaching have to be generalized out into other environments. It's not just what's taught in a school or in our services, but how is Bobby going to use it out there? Because that's why they come to us. Not, not for them to do well with us for a couple hours, but to be able to do that in school, to be able to do that at the bar mitzvah, to be able to do that in the dentist office, to be able to do it in the family gatherings. And so it's, it's that social, it's just every part of a human being. Even today with technology being so extreme, and, and my educated thought is that over the next 10, 20, 30 years, it's going to become even more a critical part of, of life. You still have to be able to have those interactions with people. And even more importantly, as human beings, we crave them. So if, if I don't know how to have that interaction, it leads for very lonely existence. Which is a natural segue to our other guest today, who can give that individual unconditional love, give them self-esteem, know that they're not on trial, and give them a hug in a way so that their body can then secrete some oxytocin and some other wonderful things. And why don't you introduce us to the real star of the Student Growth Center. Daisy, the star this of the show. Daisy. Daisy is our almost five-year-old golden doodle certified through Therapy Dogs International Therapy Dog. She is as hypoallergenic as you can get. She is what's called an F1B golden doodle. She is, besides being my dog and being the best, because we all have the best, this dog, I work nine to nine Monday through Friday. She's with us the whole time. She is the one who has been trained to be able to identify the anxiety and stress 
So it's that anxiety release that somebody has. She is awesome with young people. Um, the smaller, the better, as far as she's concerned. We have her throughout the office when we do individual, in groups, whatever we do. When I go out and I do trainings and different things, if appropriate, I bring her with. And what she is wonderful at doing is just giving, as, as you mentioned, that unconditional love. There is no judgment here. She does not care if your hair looks good or if you have the latest shoes on. She does not care. All she wants to do is love and hug and tell you that it's all okay. And she is absolutely wonderful. Puff, the girl. And what we do is when somebody comes into our office, 99.9% .9 of the time, that first time they come in, they're in crisis. It's, it's hit the fan. They don't know what else to do. They've been to the doctors, to the therapists, to the whatever that they've done. And, and they're just not getting the results. So we're kind of that, that last house on the block quite often. And, and the moms and the kids or the dads or the families or grandparents, we've had the whole uh, dynamic. And siblings often play a good part of this, considerable, is that she helps bring down the initial anxiety. When our kids, whether they're 4 to 20 some, whether they're spectrum, ADHD-ish, pieces of this and that, when they come into a new environment, especially in a doctor's office, their anxiety is up through here. They don't know what to expect. They don't know what's going to happen. They know what experiences they've had already. All right. And, and some may have been fantastic. Some of them not so wonderful. So they don't know what's going to happen. She just takes that fire out. I, I could tell you <clears throat> 20 stories of issues where I'm working directly with, with the young people and, and their anxiety has gotten the better of them. And, and one particular case, 13, 14 year old male, year, year and a half ago, came into the office and just swearing. All right, just very upset. I'm not gonna talk to you and, and, and this F in this. And I mean, just, and, and I, he sat and I said, all right, you let me know. All right, wasn't hurting anybody. Daisy went over, jumped in the chair next to him. No, no joke, no exaggeration. Just sat there and just stared at him. Two, three minutes, he put a hand on her. Another minute or two, she laid down, put her head on his lap. Now he's starting to pet. Now he's coming down a little bit. He starts expressing, communicating what, what the, the heightened anxiety fear is all about. We got to the end of it. We, we made a difference. Without her, that particular situation, that particular session, there's no way the level of progress and difference that we made would have happened without her presence. She did what I could not do by myself. She helped them get out of himself. She helped just bring it down a notch. Now, not everybody is, is fortunate enough to have a daisy in their life. And, and the fact that she's a certified therapy dog allows me to do things that, that your typical dog wouldn't be allowed to do because they don't have that certification. However, 
the regular pet dog, all right, quite often is very in tune, is very emotionally aware, especially when they're treated appropriately. And quite often will go to that area of greatest need in the home. So those parents who may be listening or those practitioners, and it's like, you know what, Bobby has a, has a puppy at home, has a dog at home, and he gets along great with. You could utilize that to help Bobby be able to use that animal to help him regulate. Self-regulation is a lot of what we're talking about here, self-monitoring. How am I doing? Self-regulation. How do I adjust to what's going on so I'm not just reactive? So how can Bobby learn to use his animal so that he can use that to help regulate himself and be able to visualize, use that, bring it into memory so that when they're not around the dog, to still help bring themselves back to focus, bring them back to where their feet are, to bring them back to here. So that it's a phenomenal tool. It's just one of many. That that she's the furriest. And I, I just I'm very uh, I, I love having her in our life and the it helps so much on all different levels. We're into different tools that actually help here at different brains, as opposed to just lamenting that we have a problem. And you just gave us some excellent, excellent tools. Let's talk about some of the tools that you use to get the parents in a family with a member who's maybe a young one whose brain is a little bit different, mm -hmm. sees things a little bit differently, as you put it many times. Uh, what are some of the tools that you use to get the parents on the same page? Excellent and super critical question. Because without the parents being on board, the likelihood of generalization and change is greatly reduced. So with, with the parents, there's several different levels of what goes on. Probably the thing that we've learned the most um, as a, a byproduct, a benefit of our social skills program is that our social skills program is set up in such a way, and, and anybody please feel to borrow it, replicate it, all right, this is not a, a secret, is that there are 90 or so lessons that I've created over the last 20, 25 years um, using some of the greatest interventionists that are out there. Michelle Garcia Winner, Jeff Baker, I'm certified in the Peers program out of UCLA, so many different components. And I've put it together to work in, in how we do, do the things. So what we do is from each of those lessons, each week, one lesson is taught in all 13 of our groups. It's adjusted for the group of kids that you have. We have those four, five, six-year-olds. We have the, those 18 to 25-year-olds. We're obviously not going to do the same lesson and the same activities with the two groups. So all of my therapists who are doing the groups, and by the way, we do a three-to-one staffing, all with licensed mental health counselors and such, they are following the curriculum that I've established from there. So with that, we're starting off each group doing uh, brainstorming, trying to get somebody to do something different if they don't see a value in it, less than, more than difficult, probably near impossible. 
So if we're going to get our four-year-old or our 14-year-old and we want them to start to learn how to join into a conversation in a more productive way or deal with anxiety and social communication, we have to be able to show, help them see what the importance is of doing it. So that's where the brainstorming comes in. And the counselors are very good, very adapted to being able to, when are you going to need to join into a conversation? What is it that you will get out of joining into a conversation? It always comes back to what do they get, all right? Any of us as a consumer, it's not about this is a wonderful product. It's like how it's going to work for me. Same type of thing. So we want to get that value from the kids. Then we go into the modeling. The modeling is an accurate, real life, in your face, what does it look like? All right. We stay with the positive as much as possible, but sometimes we have to use a little non-examples. Here's, here's an example of that. Joining into conversations. If you think about it, there's a group of three or four kids. Our child wants to join in. All right. There are seven or eight different prerequisite skills that a person needs to know in order to be successful at joining into a conversation. You have to be able to read facial expressions and body language. You have to be able to pick up on voice tone. Are they happy? Are they mad? Then you have to be able to use proximity. How many of us have experienced where we have one of our little guys or girls or older that, that when they interact with somebody, bam, right in your face. All right? Most people aren't excited about that. So we want to gently move into the, the situation there. Join into a conversation. They're talking about a movie they saw last night. You want to come in and talk about Pokemon? Pretty much you're not going to fit into that conversation. So you have to be able to listen as to what it is. You have to be able to talk on par. And then you have to know what is the right time to join in. So the, the, the good and not so good examples are when there is a group that is encouraging you to come in. So Bobby looks over and then one of the kids is like, hey, it gives a compared to the group is a closed group and gives you one of those. You got to be able to read that. If not, our child is going into a situation that is a no win. So we show them what does it look like to join into a conversation or one of these other topics. Then from there comes the role playing. All right, that's one of the, the everything has its value. The role playing, everybody's up out of their seat and we're actually practicing. So if we're doing joining into a group, we have that group here. And now, how are you going to do it? And the counselors will walk with them step by step. You are the one joining in. What are the steps involved? Now you're the one who's part of a group. All right. How do you interact with somebody who's trying to join in? How do you handle it when you're invited in? Hey, how do you handle it when it's go away? How do you do that? So it's actually practicing it. So those are the three main components. We do some other little activities, some warm-up, some join-in, depending on the levels and all. But it's, it's a very involved, it's not a lecture activity. And then the, the part for the family is the last couple minutes of each of the groups, the lead counselor will always go out and talk to the parents. They have a document. It, it goes along with the lesson that was made. And it explains what was the topic this week that we were focusing on. A few key points as to why some of our young people or older people with perceptual challenges have difficulty with acquiring these skills. And then most importantly, I think, is what can the parents do 
outside of our center to be able to help generalize these skills. So we give them like three or four suggestions. What I encourage them to do is to read it over, pick the one that seems like it would fit your lifestyle the best, and then go ahead and, and start to merge that so that when Bobby is getting a, a support on how to join into a conversation, what we taught him, what mom tells him, what the teacher directs him to, what the dentist is suggesting, what the priest or rabbi or grandma or grandpa, everybody's giving the same message. That's when generalization occurs. If everybody's well-intentioned, but they are giving a different message, confusion, no generalization. So they had fun, but they didn't learn anything that they can use. What is your method then for getting the third leg of the chair, the teacher, on the same path? The, the, all of the components, the way I describe it to the parents, is everything that we do in our services starts with an initial consultation with me. I sit down, I meet, spend a good hour, application, blah, blah, blah. What happens is that I describe that there's three parts of a triangle here. You, the, the, the student, and us. Now, part of the us is the other professional entities in their life, which is the teachers, which is the other therapists, things of that nature. The way that I encourage the parents to address that, because it has to come from the parents, is to, number one, to have a dialogue going with the, with the, with the teacher. Any of our kids, and, and being in the school system for so many years, any of our kids, within the first couple weeks of school, the parent has to reach out to the teacher or teachers and say, hey, Mrs. So-and-so, just want to introduce myself. I'm Bobby's mom. I don't know if you had a chance to see Bobby's IEP or 504 yet. Let me kind of give you a little summary as to who Bobby is and what Bobby's all about. What we found doesn't work so well and as important or more, what has worked? So that this way, this teacher has that information going in and they don't kind of get it piecemeal. So most teachers are going to be very happy to have that information because it gives them a step up. So now, once that dialogue is established, I would go ahead and say, you know what, Bobby does a social skills group, or he's working with a counselor, or whatever he's doing, and each week we get information that is helpful. Is it okay if we share that with you? So that when you're interacting with Bobby, or, or the paraprofessionals, or other people, you can be part of our team, all right? Because Bobby, all of our Bobbies, need a team. It's not a just a parent and a kid. It's not to just us and the kid. It's got to be a team to work together to help them. Uh, why don't you tell our audience how they can uh, get in touch with you? Okay. Um, we have a very, very formidable uh, imprint on the, web, on the internet. If you put my name in Google, Dr. Eric with a C, Natch, N-A-C-H, you will get two full pages of all different things I've done and we've done and my team has done. In addition, Google once again, uh, Support for Students Growth Center, or so many different things. Autism, Boca Raton, social skills, ADHD, executive functioning, many, many different searches will scroll back to us. Our office number is 561-990-7300. And that is our direct line in. 
And 99 times out of 100, when you call between the hours of 9 and 9, Monday through Friday, Paula, my office manager and wife, will pick up the phone and she will see what your needs are and get you to me or get you to the right person and help figure out what the next step will be. Our website is very current, modern, developing. I put a blog article on virtually every week. Um, the name of our website is the same as our company. It's a little lengthy. Uh, in hindsight, probably would have done things a little differently, but it's support for for studentsgrowthcenter.com. Your online presence for Dr. Natch Online. Um, tell us about that. What, what that does is we, we found that one of the other avenues of, of need was helping with what's called soft skills. Um, soft skills is, is a gentle word for success skills um, and executive functioning. Managing time, planning, prioritizing, dealing with conflict, speaking in public, all these other things that so many people, especially our, our later teens into college, they, they have gotten pretty good at the academics at that, by that point, but they don't have the other skills that go with it. And what we're finding is that they're going away to college or they're going to a local two or four year, I don't think there's even two years anymore, a local four year, and, and they just aren't able to live independently. They've never written a check. They have no clue how to balance a, a, a checkbook. They are not able to go shop for themselves. They, they just can't plan and put a list together. Even more so, once they start working. Because they may get the degrees, as, as the young man I was talking to you before. We, he's in his late 20s. He's got a, a bachelor's degree in a significant field. And every time he tries to go work, he's not able to pull it together with his peers. He's not punctual. He gets there late. He will have conversations with people at the inappropriate times. He will borrow something off of your desk if you're not using it, but he needs it. Just, just a disconnect. No malicious intent. It's just a disconnect with that and so many other things. So what we've done is I've created a dozen different programs or workbooks that are all independent, that are, that are self-focused. They're broken into a dozen different uh, modules. Each module is online and you're reading through it and you see the different examples and you practice doing them, then you have to take a little quiz. You need to get at least a 70% and then you go on to the second module. This is, in, in the way we use it, is twofold. One, people can do that independently, or if they have somebody working with them, they have somebody working on executive functioning, living skills, soft skills with them, they can use that and help them together to learn those skills, which is really what I was hoping the most would come out of it, is that it would be a tool for professionals to use with, with their clients. And then the second part is, um, individually, I have five, five or six special ed teachers and licensed therapists that do strictly executive functioning. 
And they use these manuals in hard copy, and they work directly with our young people from fifth grade and on. So they work with managing your time management. All right, these are some skills. Let's use your stuff using these skills to help you learn how to manage your time. When it's all said and done, they have the workbook, they have the reference guide, and they're able to use that. So if next year they forgot how to do something or something that they learned really wasn't a value at that time, but a year or two or three later, it became a value. It's like, oh yeah, it's all right here. So it's a resource to help bring that together. In addition to that, I have a lot of blog articles that I uh, have created, and I include that all as part of that. And, and it's I'm not going to promote on that level, but it is so cheap. It's not, it's not funny. It, it's $29 a month for unlimited whatever. I mean, you know, anyway, um, I just wanted to get out there. I want people to use it as a resource. The effort on my part is done. I don't have to do a whole lot to keep it going. And then, of course, we use it as an individual tool as well. Dr. Eric Natch, what is the one piece of advice you might have for families who have a child who sees things a little bit differently? I think parents need to be aware that because their child may be wired differently just means that we need to take a different approach to get to where we want to go. Well, Dr. Eric Natch, thank you so much. I'm, I'm sure we'll be having you back again real soon. And thank you for spending this time with us and uh, keep up the good work. Well, I appreciate it. And the same with you and with different brains. And I'm glad that we've, I have reached out and morphing together and moving forward. It's all good. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains, Inc. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.org.